Let's go to the movies, an award season podcast. Welcome to season three, episode 11. On today's episode, I will be discussing Don't Look Up and King Richard. These are the final two films that I had to watch that are nominated for Best Picture this year. So kind of wrapping up the watching of all of those. And for King Richard discussion, I'm actually going to be bringing on a returning guest. First up, we have Don't Look Up, which is a film directed by Adam McKay, currently on Netflix, has a Rotten Tomatoes score of 56%. So the plot of this film is that it's following two scientists who discover a comet hurtling towards Earth and will eventually destroy the planet in six months, and it is their attempt to try to alert the world to little avail. Adam McKay, his last feature film was actually Vice in 2018, but he has a very distinct style, so if you did see that, or you saw the big short, you kind of have an idea of what he is all about. He's currently also doing a show on HBO Max called Winning Time, and he developed Succession. So his vibe is kind of just really prominent in a lot of things right now. So yeah, as I mentioned, Vice, the big short, he also did Anchorman 1 and 2, The Other Guys, Step Brothers, Talladega Nights, just to name a few. He kind of evolved from the Will Ferrell comedy into a little bit more of this kind of satire view of the world. So this film was first announced in November 2019. It was actually sold by Paramount Pictures to Netflix several months after that. It started filming, well, it was initially supposed to start filming in April 2020, but it was delayed due to the COVID pandemic starting. So it officially began filming in November of 2020 and then wrapped a few months later in February 2021. Adam McKay was approached about writing the script for this project shortly after he completed Vice, which I mentioned was in 2018. The film premiered in New York City on December 5th, 2021, and it was streaming on Netflix as of December 24th. It did also have a limited theatrical release as Netflix kind of just has that as their kind of standard distribution at this point. Um... An interesting thing that I did read as I was looking up some stuff about this movie was that the editor for the film actually recruited Netflix employees from all around the world to kind of help contribute clips and footage, and they were asked to send in videos of nature or social media or just things that they were interacting with so that they could use those in the film. So any of those scenes that you saw with the quick edits of different outdoor things and different aspects of nature was all stuff contributed by the employees. thought that was pretty neat. And an, um, an astronomer was also hired for the project to consult on the scientific specifics of the comet being portrayed. So it wasn't going to be too fabricated. It could, they wanted it to be something that seemed like it could be realistic. So I'm sure you have heard, because this is kind of how I heard this movie, it was being billed as a movie about climate change. And I think that that kind of sets a weird tone for the film going into it, if that's all you really know. I honestly had kind of um, a hesitation in watching it because I thought it was going to be just very in my face, over the top, hitting me over the head with this metaphor for climate change. And I was pleasantly surprised that that is not how I felt when I went into it or as I was getting into it. 
My immediate reaction was not one of thinking that this was a climate change movie. I actually started to feel like it just more felt like a critique of society in the modern age in general, and just specifically kind of how we share and absorb information, like in regards to anything, like any information. This was a just like a portrait of how that information is spread and absorbed and not believed. <laughs> so I think watching it more from that angle is a little more fascinating and a little more eye-opening maybe. Um, it is, from watching it, just kind of made me realize how appalling it really is that as connected as we all are, we're all still very unwilling to believe the things that are communicated to us. So it was kind of sad, really, to, to watch it. Just Maybe because it's just so fresh still. It's just almost maybe like a too soon type of message. Um, like So it just kind of had a tragic quality to it. But I think Adam McKay captures the idea of it really well with his use of satire. As I was laughing for most of the film, which easily could have been just like sitting there like, oh my gosh. I cannot believe this is the way the world is. But yeah, no, I was chuckling for the most part. And I think it was actually also easy to kind of imagine the COVID pandemic as the overall situation that was being poked at and like kind of the overall metaphor, just kind of in regards to how the info during that was being shared, how, for example, like Dr. Fauci became kind of an almost cultural icon, which is how Leonardo DiCaprio's character was portrayed in the film, uh, like how commercials were started to be made about the pandemic and social media challenges grew out of it and groups of people started forming anti-opinions and it all just kind of felt like it lined up pretty perfectly with the timeline of how the pandemic unfolded. So if you are skeptical to watch this movie because of the climate change aspect, maybe you just don't like having it shoved in your face or you know maybe you just have your own opinions on things maybe just approaching it from that angle makes it a little more palatable so maybe consider that um i also kind of took it to a literal level in regards to the title so we are obviously so engrossed in our phones and social media and the government doesn't want us to look up nor the tech companies so I just had a moment of realization in the film at one point of like, oh, like because they have a character that's like a billionaire, Steve Jobs type, like in running a big multimedia corporation, like bringing out a new phone. And the whole point of his newest phone release is that it's tailored. So the phone basically does everything for you. So you'd never have to stop looking at your phone because it knows exactly what you're going to need and stuff. I was like, oh, so they don't want you to look up. <laughs> and that's kind of where it hit me that that was kind of playing on that title. Because uh, I just feel like sometimes the way that media and politics is portrayed to us is that they want you to just be looking down so that they continue on with their plans and their politics. And that angle kind of plays in towards the end of the film with all the rallies that are going on. Like, the anti-slogan is, just look up. So, obviously, there's a very literal interpretation of the title, but that was just kind of something that I kind of thought was interesting as a way to think about it. 
And I really don't think that anyone except Adam McKay could have tackled a film like this. Just with the editing style alone, the sharp wit. It's, like I said, just kind of becoming McKay's bread and butter. And he does it very well. Like, you kind of know what to expect and you kind of can anticipate things. And, like, you kind of know the tone that it's going to take. And, yeah, I think overall I did enjoy this one a little more than I was expecting. And I don't know if that aspect of, like, why, like, that mentality and kind of feeling that I had might be why I ended up liking it more than I expected or or what? Like, maybe my expectation wasn't so heightened that it exceeded that expectation, even though it was, like, not a very high expectation in the first place. I don't really know. But it's an interesting thing to think about because I was talking with a friend who also watched it and she kind of had the exact opposite perspective where she just kind of thought the climate change aspect was a little too in your face and like seeing everything playing out was a little aggravating and too realistic. And so maybe just kind of the way you are feeling that day that you watch it, if you're in kind of a cynical mood or more positive mood that day might play into how you view this film. And I think that's really intriguing. So if you haven't watched it yet, maybe consider your headspace before going into it. If you have watched it, what was your headspace going into it? And how do you think that contributed to your overall experience? Um, so apart from all of that, I also wanted to make a note about the ending of the film. Um, I liked the ending like before the end credit scene, like the actual ending. <laughs> like it was super sad, but it felt real. And I appreciate when an ending does feel real. Because the ultimate message there was that there literally is only so much we can do before we basically have to just face the music. It is what it is. And that's something that I kind of say all the time to my husband. So we're not getting so overwhelmed by all the stuff going on. Just do the best you can. Do what you can do. And it just is what it is. Um, like, as an individual, you can't save the whole world all by yourself. And I think that's kind of the message, which is, like, a sad message. But it that is literally what they're saying. It's going to take more than a few people being upset and angry over something. Or even scared and concerned about something. Like, it's going to take more than just one person. So there also seemed to be a really interesting idea that I was kind of noting of like America having a savior complex in the film. I think there was like a news banner that said that at one point. So I'm kind of just made me wonder why is America always kind of quote unquote in charge of solving all of the problems? Like with the comet hitting in the film, why was it? Why did America feel like they were the ones that had to sort it all out? You know, it's just kind of an interesting thing to highlight and interesting to think about. It's kind of our place in the world. Um, but yeah, that was kind of my overall thoughts. I, like I said, this was one of the last ones I watched. I was, like I said, not too excited or eager to see it. I kind of was like, yeah, I'll knock it out. It didn't really feel, it, it was a decent film. I didn't quite feel like it was a best film of the year kind of film. I am I mean, I might watch it again 
if someone hasn't seen it and they were watching it, but I don't think I would actively be like, yeah, I got to watch that again. Honestly, maybe 20 years down the line, when like the culture has shifted slightly, <laughs> maybe it would be better to watch because it does kind of hit a little too close to home in some realities. And it kind of, it's like unsettling to be like, okay, yeah, we don't really know where anything's going to be going, much like the ending of that film. Like, okay, we don't know what's going to be happening. So kind of puts you in a weird headspace from that aspect. But it was funny. The acting was solid. It was really cool to see Leonardo DiCaprio just play kind of a normal everyman dude with anxiety kind of guy, like set in the modern time, because he always plays different kind of characters from different time periods and stuff. And So that gave me a kick. I was like kind of just laughing at him the whole time, honestly. Um, Jennifer Lawrence's character was great. Jonah Hill was hilarious. He kind of gave me like his delivery and his tone was cracking us up. Like he had some same, like his tone like reminded me of if you saw this is the end and he played kind of himself. And there's that one line where he, he's doing his little video blog and he's like, so something not so chill happened last night. Like just that delivery is kind of his whole delivery from this film. And it was just hilarious. So yeah, he was great. Meryl Streep is always solid. I feel like you don't really need to convince anybody of that. Uh, the cameos were interesting. Ariana Grande and Kid Cudi being in them was felt a little gratuitous at times. But it was kind of cool that they were able to tie in an actual song for the film. And I read they did actually release that song in conjunction with the film. So that's always fun. Uh, Timothy Chalamet, which I didn't even remember that he was in the movie. He played a really interesting character. <laughs> and it was funny just because you're used to also him playing these kind of quirky types of people and so playing kind of this like stoner surfer I'm not sorry not surfer excuse me skateboard like kind of like the stoner skateboard dude <laughs> was hilarious always get a kick out of that uh yeah it just it's I guess it's hard to really draw too much analysis and interpretation out of it because it is so current and so relevant it's like you don't need to convince somebody or have them understand why information is spread poorly over social media and things you know it just is what it is is that a good review probably not but that's just where my thoughts are with it so for the oscars this film is nominated for best picture best original screenplay best score and best editing and I actually feel like these nominations were all pretty spot on. I wouldn't be mad if it won these categories, obviously not counting Best Picture, but like it had a really solid screenplay. It was original. So like from that aspect, yeah. The score was great. Nicholas Bretel did the score. It had kind of this jazzy vibe to it almost. Like there were tones in it and like moments that kind of almost reminded me of Monsters, Inc., <laughs> As just like a good way to explain what it sounds like. What I enjoyed it though. It was kind of different. It wasn't like ominous and scary. It was just kind of quick and like chirpy. <laughs> and that kind of plays into the editing style, which is like the quick cuts and the flashes of things and like the part where they're editing in all of the video footage from all the Netflix employees, like the different nature shots and just stuff like that. And yeah, I mean, an Adam McKay filming winning editing 
really just makes sense. So yeah, as I mentioned, wouldn't be the worst thing if they won all of those. However, I don't think they are going to be winning anything. That's just my opinion. They haven't really been winning a thing. Eh, Tongue-tied today. They have not been winning anything else very major from any of the major award shows this season. So based on that track record, it's not like you could predict that it's probably not going to play out like that. However, in all honesty, this film is probably being not acknowledged just because of the content, the subject matter. So that is also kind of why I wanted to try to bring a different lens to it since it is in a, in a way kind of predictable. But if you like Adam McKay or if you like anyone in the cast, it's it's worth a watch, I would say. If you like satire and commentary on society, definitely worth a watch. And it is currently on Netflix. That is Don't Look Up. Next up, we have King Richard, which is currently available as video on demand. I believe it will be hitting HBO Max shortly, if not already by the time this podcast episode drops. It was directed by Ronaldo Marcus Green, has a Rotten Tomatoes score of 91%. This movie follows Richard Williams and his family as they are striving to get Venus and Serena into the tennis spotlight. So it's told from more of kind of his perspective. I was not familiar with this director and I'm not familiar with anything that I read that he has done. So I think it's kind of awesome that this movie's kind of propelling him forward a little bit. His previous works include Joe Bell, Monsters and Men, and then some some short films and some episodes of television. This project was announced in March 2019, had Will Smith attached to it initially, and then Green signed on in June of that year. The filming began in January 2020, and it was paused in March and then resumed in October, of course, due to the pandemic. It premiered September 2nd, 2021 at the Telluride Film Festival. Then it had its HBO Max dual release in theaters and simultaneous streaming on November 19th, 2021. This film was delayed a year from November 25th, 2020 to its release in November 2021, of course because of the pandemic. This was uh, one of the last films that Warner Brothers released that was part of that dual release plan as well. So it is noted also that because of all that dual release stuff that was going on, that Will Smith actually took some of his own earnings and distributed them as bonuses to the cast after the uh, dual release plan was announced, just because that kind of played into um, the kind of money that people would be making off of the project. And I guess he just wanted to kind of compensate the people for the work they did, which is honorable. Venus and Serena Williams were producers on the project. Beyonce actually screened the film before she wrote the song that is now nominated for an Oscar. And the girls who played the Williams sisters in the film, they actually took intensive tennis coaching to learn how to play and how to mimic the real-life sisters and, like, their physicalities and stuff. The girl that played Venus had to learn to play right-handed. And I think that's just astounding because tennis is not easy. (laughs) So I was really like, okay, that's cool to learn. Uh, Will Smith actually put on weight in order to resemble Richard Williams' size and heft, and he ended up weighing in at 226 pounds for the role. 
which is always just a startling thing to learn for me because it's just like wild that you put your body through that much. And so like I obviously know the Williams sisters and like how much they've done for the sports world and kind of all the accolades they have, but I never really knew their backstory. So I found this to be pretty interesting and I really enjoyed it. And for further discussion on that, I'd like to bring in my returning guest for this episode, my husband, James. So James, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me again. I understand you have a cold today, so I'm sorry you're feeling bad, but I'm glad you're here to talk with me. Yes, it it took me a lot of effort to move from the couch to the podcast studio here. (laughs) Okay, so we are going to talk about King Richard. Uh, So I guess just first off, what did you think of it? Uh, I thought it was a good movie. I I always like biopics like that. Um, And this was... This was kind of a different different play on it because I feel like we know Venus and Serena Williams, but the movie was really more about their their dad, um, Richard, King Richard. Yeah, that was my actual first note was I appreciated the perspective being from the father. And as I mentioned in my intro, um, like I obviously know who they are, but I didn't know a lot of their backstory. So it was kind of interesting to get it from that point of view. From like a kind of like a parental, like we're raising you up and teaching you what to do and kind of just like that angle. It felt kind of different. Yeah, I mean, that was the the biggest thing for me. Um, and I mean, do you want me you want me to go there now? Sure. So, I mean, I, I have a master's degree, no big deal, uh, in sports administration. Um, and uh, a lot of my work doing that master's degree was on uh, youth sports. And I found it very cool that, um, you know, they made a point to kind of show how Richard and his wife were raising Venus and Serena to be more than just, you know, tennis stars, that they had to go to school, that, they, you know, they had to have other activities, um, which I always find really important because doing all that research, uh, the burnout level in youth sports is very high. Um, I believe it's a number, something like 70% of kids stop playing sports before they reach high school. And they're just done. And the number one reason is because their parents push them way too hard. And they focus on one sport, and that's it. So to see that perspective of, obviously, these you know once-in-a-lifetime athletes' parents having them be well-rounded was really refreshing in that sense. Yeah, and I think they kind of emphasize that too with the scenes of her at the juniors competitions and all the kids getting really fed up that they were losing and all the parents like yelling at the kids and like berating them for not playing better and making it seem like it was a job that they had instead of a sport that they were playing. And so that was... It was like upsetting to see that for the other kids, but it kind of amplified all of the ways that the parents were raising Venus and Serena. Yeah, I mean, I, um, you know, I, I've seen that from growing up playing youth sports myself up through high school. I saw the overbearing parents and, I, you know, I played on teams with kids whose parents were, you know, chewing them out, yelling, and you could tell the kid wasn't having a good time. To even where I'm at now, where you know I'm I'm giving golf lessons to junior players, and 
you know, I had a mom a couple months ago, her daughter is 12 years old. And one lesson she starts asking me about, you know, what's it take to make the high school team? What's it take to get a scholarship? And I'm like, you need to pump the brakes. Your daughter's 12 years old and let's let her just kind of enjoy being a kid. Um, so it exists. It's out there for sure. And it's, it's really disappointing to see. Well, that was also interesting, like the part where he didn't allow, uh, like allow her to play in the juniors for like three years. I didn't actually know that because, like I said, I didn't know too much of their backstory. But that obviously seemed like it shook up everybody to hear that that was his decision and like what his reasoning and stuff was. And it almost like you're saying, like it's like there's like a narrative that you have to be like super committed every waking moment. But clearly you don't have to, as this movie proves. Yeah, I mean, uh, I I think I didn't know that. I didn't know a whole lot of their background. Um, I just knew that they, they grew up in Compton and, um, you know, the dad was a coach, but that was about it. But yeah, that's a that's a, a, a different take because. You know, you see out there, you know, all the ultra competitive leagues, AAU and travel leagues. And, you know, these kids are as young as four or five years old out here. And it's just it's a little much. And if I'm being quite honest, just some of the athletes that come to mind, you know, they were multi-sport athletes, you know, and had other things going for them as well. They're well-rounded individuals. So, yes, while some athletes, you know, I can think Tiger Woods, he's a golfer. He's had a golf club in his hand since he was three, four years old. That's basically all he did. He's a generational talent. But for every Tiger Woods, there's going to be other kids out there who, you know, they need other activities. And then if they show a sign or something, then they really focus in and, and as they get older and focus on that one sport. Yeah, I think that all makes sense. Um, coming from the perspective of the dad also, like I thought it was kind of cool to see his, just his attitude towards it all. Like how he kind of like envisioned this future for them. And he wasn't just trying to cut to the chase. He was like developing them as proper humans. <laughs> just like trusting that it would all work out. And I thought it was really like almost like astounding that everybody just kind of put up with his attitude and his behavior towards it all. Like he was able to get them all the coaches that they needed, but then he would kind of flip the switch on them and kind of start calling the shots himself. And they all just kind of went with it. Well, I, I think all of that was a product of how talented Venus and Serena both were um, to the point where, you know, the fact that they were getting free coaching from some of these top coaches. That does not happen. <laughs> and it's just, they simply saw that, you know, they were going to be something. Um, so they wanted to work with them, you know, whatever it, it took. And uh, I think that's also why they put up with Richard's antics was because of how talented they were. and was like, okay, he's calling the shots here. You know, they're talented. Let's play it out and see what happens. Yeah, it like makes you wonder if they weren't able to see the potential in them. They would have just probably brushed it all off and he would have just been one of those like annoying sports parents. Oh, for sure. If if they 
had zero skill, they would drop him in a heartbeat. They'd be like, you're out of your mind. They have no hand-eye coordination, like, et cetera, et cetera. But the fact that they had these, you know, once-in-a-generation type talent, yeah, let's work with you. Let's figure it out. Yeah. So something else I also mentioned in the intro was um, how the actual actors that played the Williams sisters had to learn tennis. They took an intensive tennis camp to learn all of the the basics, but then also learn how to like imitate how the actual people played, like Venus and Serena. And the one girl who played Serena had to, she was left-handed. She had to learn how to play right-handed. Mm. And I think that is fan, like just like wild because we've played tennis, we've attempted it, and it's not very easy. <laughs> And I just, it, that that aspect of it just kind of blows me away. Give them the Oscar now, <laughs> just for that. Yeah, that is precious. I, I, I didn't know that. Thanks for telling me mm-hmm. as we went live on the air. You're welcome. Um, yeah, that, that's really cool. Um, I think that that's dedication for sure. And we can play tennis. Paula's not very well. She, she's just, do I say the word she hates? She's dainty about it. And James played baseball, so he hits the ball with the tennis racket as if it's a baseball and a baseball bat. Over the fence. Home runs. Let's go. So, yeah, it's just like, it's like whenever you play something or like a sport or you do something like ice skating or something even, and then you see it happen with the professionals, you're just like, whoa, they actually are legit. So when the actors are able to convey it to look like it's actually someone professional doing it, like that is really amazing to me. Yeah, let's just hope those girls aren't typecast into tennis movies the rest of their life, I guess. <laughs> I don't think they will be. <laughs> but this movie was nominated for Best Editing, so I wonder if that plays into it a little too, like making the tennis scenes look a little, like maybe even better, like the, how they're cutting it together. Sure, lots of takes on bad hits over the net, I'm guessing. But yeah, that's... I'm trying to think of the editing now. I'm trying to think of the cinematography and all that. I mean, that aspect of it is the only thing that I could think of that would be, at like, why it was distinctive is, like, cutting together the tennis matches and stuff and kind of recreating those moments. Yeah, that, that, that tracks. Uh, one of the last points that I wrote just about the movie in general was I always love a good story where you know what happens to the people. So when you see the naysayers and the people that are like not giving them a chance, you're just kind of laughing at them for passing up on an opportunity. <laughs> and you're just like, hey, you sucker. Yes. Uh, spoiler <laughs> alert. Um, if you don't want to know what happens to Venus and Serena in real life, probably turn your podcast off now. But they go on to become very very good professional tennis players so yeah then the people in the movie that are just like they'll never become anything probably just sitting there like oh my gosh i can't believe it and that's what i like about it yes can you think of any other movies like that not in this instant like blindside maybe oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah so any other things Harry you'd like Potter? Any other things you would like to add about the movie? Captain overall? America? No, okay. Anything 
no, I think we kind of spoke on it. I really liked it just because I like biopics and I like sports and this combined both of them. And so, yeah. I feel like this was a weird group of movies this year. And I felt like this was a very watchable movie where you could kind of just sit in it and not have to think too hard and not have to like analyze too much like what was going on. Yeah, I think it's definitely a movie that like my parents could watch yeah. and your parents could watch. I think it's, as I've been talking about with some of the other movies I've been reviewing, like what would Middle America think of this movie? Because <laughs> I don't think Middle America would appreciate a lot of the other films that are out this year because they're not that easy to digest if you're just a casual moviegoer. But I think this one definitely is. Didn't didn't Middle America, weren't they throwing the ring back in the fire? And that's Middle Earth. Middle Earth. Got it. Got it. Never mind. Continue. My point being, this is a very pleasant film to watch. You could easily watch it with your family. And I think that's what makes it a strong film this year. Yeah, it's it's inspiring. I think any family that has, you know, junior athlete, athlete, um, should definitely sit down and watch it together. It's, it's inspiring to see where they came from. And also maybe it'll remind those helicopter parents to chill out. Stop being helicopters. <laughs> so um, the Oscars that this film is nominated for include Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Supporting Actress, Best Original Screenplay. Oh, I'm sorry. No, yeah, Best Original Screenplay and Best Original Song. I was mixing myself up. And then uh, Best Editing. So I think uh, Will Smith is probably a shoe-in to win Best Actor. He's been winning all the other award shows this year. It kind of, like, is... Who's he up against? One second, let me show you. She's flipping through her notebook. And we have a laptop right here. So, killing some dead air. She's flipping through. She's smiling. Okay, she's... Oh, is she on the okay, right Okay, so it's also Javier Bardem. For Lucy. Being the Ricardos. Meh. Benedict Cumberbatch, Power of the Dog. Weird. Andrew Garfield, Tick, Tick, Boom. Didn't see it. Will Smith, King Richard. Yeah. And Denzel Washington, Tragedy of Macbeth. Yeah, okay. I think they're all different performances. I am just inclined to pick Andrew Garfield because I love him. And he was Spider-Man. I was going to say, I like this performance in Spider-Man better, even though I didn't see this Tick, Tick, Boom movie. Point being, I think Will Smith is just kind of standing out. Um, he was on signed on to the project immediately. He gained a ton of weight for the role, a ton of weight for his body type. Mm. And he just always seems like the type who like flirts with the Oscar nominations and never doesn't commit. Doesn't ever like finish the drill. He's got to commit. And you know, remember that last movie he was nominated or he was supposed to be nominated for? Everyone was like, "Why didn't he get nominated?" And I Robot. No, no, it was more recent. Men in Black. Sorry, go ahead. But like everyone was making a big to do, like, "Why didn't he get nominated?" Pursuit and of Happiness. No. No. It was oh. more recent. Uh, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Point. The point is irrelevant what it was. The point was, it was like the conversation of like, he needs to be nominated. And it's like, but did he? Yeah. And I feel like when you actually do a good role, then it just falls into place. And this is 
that happening. So my point, all of this is just to say, I think he's likely to win this category. I don't think it's going to win Best Picture. There's a chance it wins Best Song because Beyonce is in it and like mm. people love Beyonce. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Those are the ones I kind of think. I, I, I don't. I really... will say on on Will Smith. I I was actually thinking about it halfway through the movie the other night. I kind of forgot that it was him, and that's kind of that's what you want in yeah. a role like Javier Bardem and uh, oh, what's her face, Nicole Kidman and the. I I never saw them as Lucy and and Ricky Ricardo. I kind of I forgot that that was Will Smith. And so he did his job. He he acted well. His Louisiana accent came through kind of waterboyish at times. Going to the bourbon bowl. <laughs> yes. Football's the devil. Football's the devil. But anyway, I I do think if he wins it'll be well deserved and It'll be cool to see like all the Williams family and stuff because they are really supportive of the project. So it's cool to kind of see the recognition that it gets. Is there something uh, comparable to an EGOT for like sports athletes? I don't think so. Like they won the Australian Open, the I'm French Open. I'm curious though because they were producers on the film if they have producing credits. So like are they like Oscar nominated? Are they people PGA? now? Well, like um Kobe Bryant won an Oscar, technically. Big ups, Kobe. So Rest like, in peace. that's kind of that's kind of cool when sports world kind of collides. Yeah, I think so. With Hollywood, so from that angle, it's just kind of refreshing because I feel like what's the last sports movie that was this notable during award season? You know. Uh, yeah, the Oscars don't really give sports movies any kind of love, which is a shame because there's so many good ones. Can you think of any that were like award worthy? I'm trying to think, and I honestly feel like was the Blind Side the last big one? Oh, I didn't even know that was nominated. Oh yeah, Sandra Bullock won for that movie. Okay, and it was nominated for Best Picture. Run the dang ball. Exactly. Okay. Point being, the sports ones, even though like they are usually great films, I feel like they don't always get yeah. thrown into yeah. the mix. Give Happy Gilmore its due, okay? <laughs> one of the best movies of all time. I'm looking at you, Academy. So anyway, we will see how all of that plays out. Uh, but this is definitely worth watching. It's We watched it uh, video on demand. I believe it's going to be hitting HBO Max very soon. So you should be able to catch it there if you haven't had a chance to see it. And that is King Richard. Bye. And thank you, James. Hey, thanks for having me. For joining me yeah, today. Thanks for having me. On the next episode, I'm going to be doing my final recap before the Oscars. We are just a few days away from Oscar Sunday, so I'm going to be doing just kind of some of my final expectations and predictions, a recap of all the major films, kind of what they're about, and some of the chances of what they might win, just so to kind of give you a guideline for what to expect. So if you're going to be going to any parties or participating in any ballot contests, anything like that, you'll have a good chance of having some knowledge to bring with you, kind of give you a cheat sheet. Also going to be revealing my final ballot selections that I'm going to be locking in for Oscar Sunday myself. I unfortunately was not able to get to any other films in time to release another episode like I thought I might be able to, so I do apologize for that. But I am going to be bringing you the Oscars episode very, very soon, so you're still going to be doing a double release this week. 
just in time for Oscar Sunday. Thank you for listening today and for joining me on yet another trip to the movies. Thank you.